Amen. Well, Happy New Year. Try that again. Happy New Year. All right. It's good to be in 2022, is it not? Uh, So this last week, we had something called Watch Week, where we were fasting and praying for the new year that we dedicate ourselves to God and to His purposes. Come on, iPad, work for me. And um, we told everyone, do the fast however you want to do it. And um, Danielle and I decided this, um, no meat, no sweet, no TV. No meat, no sweet, no TV. And, and I, at first I was like, God, is that enough? I don't know. Should I do the Daniel fast? I don't know if I can survive that. And so we went, no meat, no sweet, no TV. And so I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to the hamburgers for lunch today because um, I didn't realize I was that much of a meat eater, but I can't wait to get, I actually, confession, I went to Burger King. I didn't get meat. I got the Impossible Whopper. Anyone had that? Just raise your hand if you had the Impossible. It's pretty good. It's not bad. It tasted close to meat, but not exactly. So, hey, look, we're putting on this lunch. We want you to be there. Um, if you already had plans to go spend money somewhere else for lunch, just don't do it. We'll, we'll pay for it. Come to lunch with us and uh, really want to start the, the semester and the new year off right in fellowship together. So um, this will be a short message because I'm looking forward to my hamburger. All right, let's do this. Open your Bibles with me to the 28th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, the 28th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. As Benton alluded to, I want to start the new year with a conversation that I've actually been sitting on for for months now, and I've been waiting for the right time to have this conversation and bring up this uh, subject of the Christian life. And it goes like this. I want to talk to you today about your life mission. Your life mission. If we were to sit down, everyone here is in different life stages, by the way. We've got some that might be in middle school or high school, college. We've got some young professionals. We've got some marrieds. We've got some uh, married with kids. We've got some in you know, middle-aged life or later life or early life or whatever. We're all in different places, but I want to ask this question. If we were to sit down, if we were to sit down you know, over food or over drinks, and I were to ask this, we get to know each other, and I feel like I could, I could ask this question. I'd say, what's your life mission? What do you kind of see as that main thing you're building and constantly going after? What's your life mission? If I were to ask that, I'm curious, even now, as I just asked it, what you would say. For some of you, you're maybe in college and you're figuring out what that is. But for many of you here, you adults, that's a, that, that's a valid question to even answer now. What is your life mission? You might talk about being a dad or being a mom or a grandparent. You might talk about being a certain kind of wife or husband, right? You could talk about being a teacher or being a business owner or being a Christian or being an American or whatever it might be. You might cite a lot of different things when it comes to your life mission, why you're here, your purpose. And I would argue that all of those are really important. But they're important as secondary life missions. Secondary. But what is to be your primary life mission? That if you don't constantly work towards that one thing in every season of life, then you would get to the end of your life and have a lot of regret. What is that one life mission. 
To answer that, we need to see how Christ answers it for his followers. Christ has an answer on that question. And his answer to that question is for all who say they're followers or disciples of Jesus. Christians. For you and me. And so you find Christ giving us that shared life mission at the end of each gospel. But I want to look in particular at the end of the gospel of Matthew. So here we go. Big guiding question today is what is your life mission? Let's see how Christ answers it. We're picking up in chapter 28 of Matthew. We'll pick up in verse 16. Let's kind of get the scene here. He's resurrected from the dead. And they're together. And he says this. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to to them that were there, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, let's zoom out for a second. Remember, this was a conversation. This was Jesus with, I don't know if it was just the kind of closer 12 disciples or the larger group there of maybe 70 or so, but they're there. They're on a mountain. It might have been breezy. I don't know. It's Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm not sure with the weather. I don't know. I've been to... Israel, it's an amazing country, great food. They make lamb there, and I'd love to eat right now, okay? So they're there, and they're talking. And they're waiting for their instruction. This is an important moment. And they're wondering, what's this whole thing about? We thought you were dead. We went back to our old trade of fishing or carpentry. We thought the whole enterprise was over. You're back. And everything is back on, but we're confused about what to do. What's our mission? What are we to make our life about? And he shares this. I want to look at some observations right here from the text. So go back to head down in the text right here. Verses 16 through 20. I like how Matthew included verse 17. When they saw him, you know, risen from the dead, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Some doubted him, but Jesus went ahead anyway and gave him, even though you're doubting, even though you're questioning, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what your life mission is. Look further in the text. Jesus opens with this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that mean for this conversation? He knows what he's talking about. I'm the authority. On all things. Some of you are on authority of different things. Might be baking. British baking show. It's a cool show. I kind of got into it for a second. There's an American version. It's barbecue. And I mean, it's so American. You you have to check this out. Right? Some of you might be an expert on a certain sport or a certain hobby. You're a real authority on that subject. What does the text say? All authority in heaven and on earth. All realms of reality. I have authority over. So Jesus knows what he's talking about. And he gives the mission, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That word nations is the word in the Greek, ethne. It means all ethnicities, all people groups. Go and do that. 
The mission is making disciples of him. Very clear in the text. And then he gives two parts to it. Verse 19 and 20. There's one part of a conversion side of disciple making where they come to know Jesus and believe in him. Uh, repent and believe and follow. That's the, making, that's the baptizing them into the community, into the faith. So there's a conversion part. But it's also a formation part. That's verse 20. Teaching them to observe or to live all that I have commanded you. All that I've taught you. Teach to them. Two parts. Conversion, formation. And then he ends with this. That Jesus is with us in this All the way to the end of history. Look at verse 20. To the end of the age, this is what you're to be busy doing. It's really clear. It's really explicit. Disciple making. Making disciples of Jesus. One of the major things I'm left with is that this, and the way Jesus talks, this is not an option among many other life missions to choose from. This is a command. He doesn't say, all the way heaven and earth has been given to me, and I got a couple ideas for you. Here's an option for you. He he looks at his followers, he says, I love the first word, go. Go. When I'm sharing something with my kids and trying to get them to go do something, they need to go, you know, a lot of times right now, I have a, we have a five-year-old and a nine-month-old, and a lot of times it's, Shay, go, go get Judd, or go, go take that out of his mouth, or go, go whatever. He spit up, and now he's playing in it like a dog. I mean, we've got weird stuff happening in our house right now. Three kids under five, if you can relate. Go. Go do this. It's a command. It's something to be obeyed. It's not just an option. It's not a la carte. Well, I might do a little of this, might do a little of that. What I see here is that You don't really pick your primary life mission from God. Rather, you are assigned it. You're assigned it. Right here, you're being assigned what that is. You should have secondary ambitions as a mother or a business owner or aspiring attorney or whatever it is. Those are good. Those are important. But you should always be a disciple maker. You should always be making disciples unto Jesus. One who might also be a teacher. Think of it this way. I'm a disciple maker who also happens to teach at the school down the road. I'm a disciple maker who also happens to be a business owner. I'm a disciple maker who also happens to be a dad. That's the recalibration that Jesus wants us to get when it comes to how we look at our life on this planet. Our existence. So, what is your given life mission, your life assignment? Under no uncertain terms, it is to make disciples. It is not what should your life mission be. No, it has already been assigned. It is rather a question of whether you've adopted it and are living it out. That's really important. 
It's not you should. This should be your life. I'm not here to tell you this should be your life mission. This is what you should be about in 2022. I'm going to pet you, motivate you, feed you, send you out. That's not what I'm doing this morning. I'm just showing you. I have the best job in the world. I just, I just, what it says. Don't get mad at me. Right? It's not what should your life mission be. What is it already if you're a follower of him in the kingdom? Now, I'm going to get to this later. A lot of times we hear that word discipleship, and it's very intimidating. You're asking me to, to, to disciples. I'm supposed to have like disciples following me around. I need to get the Jesus sandals out, you know, this year. Like, what, what do you mean by that? Sounds very intimidating um, and intense. Well, we're going to get into how it actually looks in real life in a moment. But it's not a question of whether you. Uh, it's not a question of. This should be your life mission. It already is. And the question is, have you adopted it and are you living it? Your life mission is God's mission right here in the text. Disciple making for a lifetime. Now, I want to I think. I want you to think about your life, okay? You were born. I'm going to put two poles, okay? Two, two dots in, in this faith timeline right here. You were born. Okay, for me, it was a cold February morning, I think it was 7 or so in the morning, uh, February 6, 1986, okay? okay? And then, I'm not sure about this one, when the Lord will call me home. I don't know. When I will die. I don't know how I will die. I don't know when I will die. I don't know if I will die with regret. But at some point, somewhere, there will be a second stake in the ground. And that'll be my life. When you go to a graveside and you look at, what is that called? Headstone. Thank you. A headstone. They're all the same. They have a birthday and they have a day of death. And in between that is a dash. And that dash represents your entire life. Every single experience you ever had. Every single morning you ever had is represented in that dash. Every single evening you ever had is represented in that dash. Every single relationship, failure, success, sin, regret, repentance, all of it is represented on that timeline between those two poles in that dash. You have been born and you will die. And the question is, what are you going to do with the dash? What are you going to do with it? We're all put in the same circumstance. Did anyone consult with you of whether or not you wanted to be born? No. It's, it, it, it's existential philosophy term. It says you were thrown into existence. You just kind of are here. Right? I'm, just, I'm off notes. I'm just talking to you. Just thrown into existence. And we have to struggle and figure out and get some light in the darkness of what's it all about. So I want you to imagine that being just the black and white reality. Let's think about your life. How would your life be different if you truly adopted this as your primary life mission? Helping people grow in the Lord. 
adopting one or two people every season to do this with that are a little bit further back on the road of following God than you are. Probably a little bit younger, not always, but typically. How would your life look different? What stage of life are you in? Are you in a later stage of life, a middle stage of life, or an early stage of life? I want you to really think about it. If every year, the turn of every year, you took the time to pray and to think and to reflect and to receive from the Lord to help identify, here is the person or persons I'm calling you to do discipleship with this year. And what if you did that every single year of your life? How would that timeline get filled up with relationship after relationship after relationship? Can you imagine the legacy of relationships you would have? Now, some of you right now, everyone's got a different personality type, are counting yourself out. I just don't feel qualified. It feels like a lot. I'm already a mom, I'm already a dad, I'm already a business owner. I still know. I don't know if I can do that. The question is not whether you can do it. The question is how do we do it? How do we do it? I often think of the men who in my timeline took the time to spiritually invest in me. Buddy Hoffman, founding pastor of the Grace Churches. Tyler Thigpen, my, my youth pastor. Um, Brother Elias, one of the monks that mentored me. These men are heroes of mine. They set aside a period of their life to say, I want so much of my attention to go to the growth and well-being of John. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to think about him. I'm going to have meals with him. We're going to get in a word together. We're going to have meaningful conversations. We're going to build a trust and an honesty where he can share with me, unlike anyone else in his orbit of relationships, he can share with me as a confidant anything that has happened or is happening in his life. I've had those. Those are precious, God-saturated relationships. I am the man I am today because Buddy Hoffman took the time to do that with me. I'm the father I am today because Brother Elias taught me how to figure out my thought life and my emotional life and all of those different things. I am the man I am today because I saw how men and women how their marriages and their parenting You see, we're all doing this thing from scratch, life. And you need living examples. I can't tell you how many times with pastor, every job's odd and peculiar. This is one of those. It's not always a man. I went to seminary. I think back to some of my seminary training, but you know what I think back to most? I think back to how my pastor did. How did he handle these conversations? How did he handle these crises? You see, with, 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 with Buddy, I can't quote him that much. I can't quote always what he said. 
But I can quote what he did. I can quote his life. I know how he responded in crisis. I mean, I can see it right now. So much of disciple making, you see Jesus do this in the Gospels, is giving someone radical access to your life. That's what spiritual fatherhood and motherhood is all about. Letting them in. The sinful side and the redeemed side. I'll look at just a couple other passages this morning. But I'll ask this question. What would it look like in every season to devote yourself to a person's growth and well-being in God? Man, what a rich life that would be. Next thing I want to cover is how does it work? How does it work? To do that, I want you to flip forward a couple gospels to the gospel of John. Turn with me to the gospel of John. So right, out of the, right after the Gospel of Luke, I want you to go to chapter 8. How does it work? I want to make it so doable for all of us. Let's take a look at verse 12. This is a very emblematic saying of Jesus. I actually have it in my office, my home office. Chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says something really important. Pick up verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, Jesus says, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's a great promise. By the way, C.S. Lewis's argument, like who talks like that? You ever been in a relationship with someone says, I am the light of life. If you follow me, you shall not walk in darkness in 2022. Right? No one talks like that. Either they're a lunatic, they're a con artist, or they're absolutely telling the truth. That's the situation of Jesus. Either he is Lord, or he's a, he's a crazy man. Anyway, I always see that when I read this. The point here is that he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. I want to talk about disciple making. Here's the, one of the first things I noticed from this verse. They are not following you. They are following him. That's huge. We make disciples not unto ourselves, but unto Jesus. Right? So let's say Alex Scales. Becoming friends with Alex Scales. Plays up here all the time. Great volunteer here. And let's say Alex Scales. Let's say God identifies for him over the next couple weeks. Here are the two two guys that, that, that I'm calling you to do some discipleship with. Right? Alex could feel a lot of pressure of, oh gosh, I've got these guys. What do I do with them? How do I make this work? Are they following me? What, like, how does this happen? And the point Jesus is making here is they're not disciples unto Alex, but they're disciples unto Jesus. That's massively important. It takes all the pressure off him and off you so that you don't be intimidated by disciple making. Now, here's an important practical question. If that's true, how do we ensure that we make it about Jesus and not about ourselves? It's not about following me or Alex or whoever. How do we make sure that we make it about following Jesus? Well, here's the answer. We disciple people by his words and not by our own. What does it say? 
Teach them to observe all that I have taught, all that I have commanded. Not Alex, not me, not you. Right? So how do we ensure that we keep it on him is that we make people, we make disciples by his words and, and not our own. You don't have to think when we sit down over a meal, okay, I got to come with this, like, what this like, do what John does and have a whole sermon for these people already? I don't want to do that. No, no, no. Disciple by your words. Look what Jesus has to say later in, in, in this chapter, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, Jesus says, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's an important statement. How does Jesus define genuine disciple? A genuine disciple or not here. He says this, if you abide in my word, if you make your home in my words and my teachings and my ideas and my values, then you're truly one of my disciples. We make our homes in all kinds of different people's words. Or their words make their home in your head. Right? Someone says something negative. Someone can say 20 things positive. They say one thing negative. It just starts making a home in my head. I make a home in that, right? This is saying a disciple is one who makes their home. They abide in his word. What does this mean? You don't have to be a spiritual genius to do this. He does. So what is so much of the way I do disciple making look like? Imagine a table, okay? Getting kind of theatrical with you this morning. My wife has always said I should be a thespian, right? You've said that, right? Yes. Sitting at a table, right, over meals, right? And the pressure you feel like is the Bible's not there. I gotta come up with all these things to say. No. Just get out what he said. Put the Bible on the table. Talk about his words. Talk about his teaching. Talk about his truths. I want to give you the big game plan on how we do this. You're going to hear this statement so many times this year. We make disciples with two things. Shared word and shared life. Shared word and shared life. How do you make disciples unto Jesus? Share the word and you share life. That's it. It is that straightforward. You share the word, his words, and you share life together. That's what everyone who's a follower of Jesus in this room can do that. How do we make disciples? Shared word and shared life. Most discipleship is caught rather than taught. There's got to be that shared life component. It's called life on life discipleship. Here's what you notice with Jesus. Jesus doesn't identify with God the Father who his disciples are supposed to be and then start a seminary, does he? He doesn't then start a school or a program. He says, all right, guys, pack your bags. We're going to hit the road. We're going to go on a bit of a road trip here. We're going to go live life together, do some ministry together. We'll teach you some things. We're going to have some, lots of meals together, lots of laughs, lots of cries, lots of whatever. But we're going to go and share life. Making disciples happens in two ways. It's shared word and shared life. Now, here's what's important. Here's where we usually mess it up. i got to wrap this thing up. Here's where we usually mess it up. We need to understand that there's a wide spectrum of disciple making. There's two poles. Pole here, 
Paul here. One, Paul is very organic. One, Paul is very organized. Okay? Within those two poles, you're going to have two kinds of people. A non-believer and a believer. Someone who already knows and tries to follow Jesus and someone who just doesn't and, and has no clue what you're talking Within that, there's the organic side of it and there's the organized. Let's say God says, I want you for the next eight months to adopt your neighbors, that couple that lives right next door, as someone to disciple. Okay? Now that can be very intimidating. John said I have to share word and shared life. Am I supposed to start a Bible study with them? No! Don't do that out of the game. Sometimes, rare exception, that might be the right thing. Typically not. What are you going to do? Well, number one, you're devoted to that person in prayer. I'm praying for that couple next door for the next eight months. And if it's about shared word and shared life, I'm going to make a point to build friendship with my neighbors. That's what I'm going to do. Just normal living. And we're going to try and get together maybe for, have them over for a barbecue and Anytime they're outside and trying to connect with them and trying to just build a relationship where we go from just neighbors to actual friends. What does it mean to share the word with that person? Are you going to them and saying, well, I was in 2 Timothy 2.2 this morning and I said this, this, and this. And what do you have to think about? They have no idea what you're talking about. They, this, oh, I don't know if I said this. They're a non-believer. Okay? They have no idea what you're talking about. What does it mean to share the word with someone who's never met the living word, Jesus Christ? It means over time to share the good truth of God with them. Most of the time, that's just encouraging them, being a source of encouragement for who they are and who you're seeing God's kind of called them to be. You're speaking life to them, as the scriptures talk about. And over time, you're finding ways where they're going to be more vulnerable with you about their background and their story. You're going to be more vulnerable with them. And of course, Jesus is going to come up. I'm a part of this church. Oh, did you kind of grow up in a religious home? Well, kind of. I mean, this is kind of my background, right? You're going to find ways to have that conversation. And over time, you're sharing the word with them. And they have no idea. But you're building that relationship towards when you can really share the gospel. Eight months. So that side is going to be pretty organic. Some of someone who doesn't yet believe in the Lord. There's the organized side. Some of you, I believe, are called to disciple all these college students in here, some of our adults. That might be more organized. They might be a believer, most likely. And it's going to be, hey, can we commit to every other week having a meal at my home? And I want to go through a gospel. Or there's this book I read in college that really formed me as a Christian woman. Can we read that together? Absolutely. You're sharing the word. And you're sharing life with that person. That is the model. What I want to do this morning is imagine the entire timeline of your life where that is your mission. Every single season, it's someone new. It's someone new. It's someone new. Now, I got to wrap this up. I think we're going to talk about this next week, too. So let me fast forward to next steps. Next steps. You ever had a goal and figure and not figure out the next steps? That's just a dream, a wish, right? So we're going to figure out next steps. Here's how it's going to work. At the end of January, our goal 
is to each identify a person or persons that you're going to disciple for a set period of time. Okay? So we're putting in your court. Okay? Some of you are new here. Some of you maybe aren't, aren't believers in Jesus. You're here. You're seeking. You're learning. We're not, we're not asking necessarily for you to adopt that. If you're in this room, follow Jesus, and you're part of this church, at the end of January, at that service, we're going to write down. We're just going to do this. Who God has highlighted to you in this season to do discipleship with. Now, now remember, for many of you, it should be very organic. It should be with non-believers and they have no clue that you're doing this. Okay? If we just disciple inside the walls of the church, then we're not living out the Great Commission. We gotta get outside the walls of the church too. Where do you work? Where do you live? What hobbies do you have? I play pickleball. Me and Matt play pickleball. Am I there because I love pickleball? Yeah, I really do. And you need to try pickleball. It's amazing. Okay? I'm also there on mission. That is like the one area of my life, do you know what I'm talking about? Where I'm around a lot of folks who, who don't follow Jesus. Because I'm a pastor. I'm around people that are trying to follow Jesus most of my life. So that, that's a mission field for me. Right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to identify at the end of January, on a Sunday, who that is. What you need to do in the meantime is pray, is think and reflect with the Holy Spirit on who you're already in relationship with. I'm not trying to add something to your schedule. It's where you already are. To identify that, and this is the last step, you commit unto Jesus to that person. It's not just a commitment to your neighbor. And they, here's the thing. You commit to do that with your neighbor and they don't know about it. You're not on the hook at all. You could end that tomorrow. But if you commit that unto the Lord for six to eight months or for 12 months to that person, yeah, you're called to obey. Called to obey. So I'll end with this. Just like we don't want to waste our life and we want to live out that life mission, we don't want to waste our church, right? We don't want to waste our time here together. And what I want to share with you, and we'll get more into this next week, is that our church mission is the Great Commission. I really don't know what other churches are doing without that being their mission. There's, y'all, there's so many seminars we pastors get invited to. Let's talk about your church's mission, and let's, let's work on these words, and all that has its place and is important. But it's really not that complicated. Your church's mission should be the Great Commission. It should be making disciples. And so that's what we want to be about this year. This is our initial conversation about that. Next week, we're going to follow it up. And at the end of January, we're all going to move into that. And here's what I want to tell you. In grace groups, and house churches, we're, we're putting together this whole curriculum to really foster and equip us and train us on how to do this. Okay? This is where we are setting our entire goal, attention, and energy this year and I can't wait to walk around this room and for each one of us to be able to say here's who God's called me to here's who I'm called to here's what I'm doing here's what I'm up to our goal is not to be the biggest church in Athens and Oconee our goal is to send out people into Athens and Oconee to make disciples that's what we're about You with me? All right. We'll talk more about it next week. What's next? Caleb, come on up.
respond to him in worship. Let's begin praying for who that might be. Some of you might already be doing this. So pray for that person. But I will be beside myself if we as a church don't live out that life mission together. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. You're going to have all the help you need in the world to make it happen. That's what we're about. When you came in, you received the elements. Let's go ahead and grab those. Communion elements. There's three things we always do when we gather. We gather around the worship of God, the word of God, and the table of God. And so we want to go back to the cross, to the resurrection. Jesus says in John 6, it's, it, it's the bread of life. So we want to come back to that bread of life every week. We want to come back and remember that our sins are forgiven because his blood was shed. And that forgiveness and his Holy Spirit is given to us because he rose from the dead. So Lord, we pray. Even now, Lord Jesus, stir our minds. Make us think about our life right now. God, make it more than just building a life of comfort and convenience. A life of pleasurable experiences, our own little self-indulgent empire. God, if that's what it is, when we see you in the next life, we will have major regret. Focus us, Lord. Focus us on the life mission. Focus us on the relationships and the disciple making. Make our life count. Even if we're later in life, we can start right now. Holy Spirit is asked. You begin to move our minds to think of people and to rethink our life over the next two weeks. We come back to your cross. We remember what it's all about now and forever. So feed us this week, we ask. In Jesus' name.